Hi everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to episode number 46 of Dying to be Found. I am Deb. And I'm Shelby. And as always, thanks for joining us. I love to say that our podcast is a family thing, so you never know which family member I'm going to pull to tell our tales. In just a couple of weeks, though, you'll see a big change, which I think is going to be really, really good. My sister, Beth, my daughter Shelby, and my son Corey have all agreed to do a little rotation because, you know, their lives are obviously much, much busier than mine. So I'm trying to spread the wealth here, Shelbs. And as we go along, why are you laughing? I was just thinking, I love the way Aunt Beth does these stories with you, but I am really excited to hear Corey's point of view. I think it's dry and it's just going to be, I want to say hilarious, but these stories are not hilarious, but he's hes going to give a very good point of view. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like about it is that we're going to have a man's point of view, but not just that, a law enforcement's point of view. I feel like we're going to do a lot of, well, that was stupid. Why did they do that? (laughs) (laughs) Probably so. I can't wait. I'm excited. Our listeners are going to start noticing a theme to each one of them because I think I've pegged everybody's personalities here. So it's really going to be a great change. Another cool thing is that I've added some bonus episodes, which you'll hear on Wednesdays beginning in February. I call these episodes the dash because some of them won't be as long as our regular episodes. And I've got some cool podcasters already lined up to help me out on the dash. So keep tuning in. I think you guys are going to like it. I'm excited. If you're a true crime podcaster and you're looking to expand your reach, you need to email me right now. Go ahead and do that while you're listening. Otherwise, Shelby, I have a question for you. I have an answer for you. (laughs) Are you a people person or do you prefer solitude? Honestly, it depends on the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, I feel like I get peopled out. I'm on the phone all day. I'm in meetings all day most of the time. I bartend typically once a week and then sometimes more than that, just depending. And I get peopled out. I like to come home. I like to get done what I have to get done. And then by seven, eight o'clock, I just want love everybody. Love you family. But I just want you to leave me alone. (laughs) And you can go watch your Hallmark movies. Yes, please. All right, today we're going to find out that our subject definitely prefers solitude because we're going to be talking about the North Pond Hermit. By chance, have you heard of him? I have not, but I feel like I could be called that. Just wait until you hear this story. You may think otherwise because he is a true, true definition of a hermit. And I like to take us away from some of the more gruesome tales from time to time. Last week was a little rough, so I wanted to do something a little bit different today. So it's a good one this week, Shelbs. It's definitely crime-based, but the good news is, is that no one gets hurt, killed, abducted, kidnapped, or anything else. Oh, good. What happens? Well, you'll understand in just a minute, because we're talking about the North Pond Hermit, also known as Christopher Knight, 
who at the age of 20 walked into the woods and did not come out again for 27 years. Wow. He must have been living off the land. He was definitely living off the land and then some other things, which hence is why this story definitely falls into my interpretation of dying to be found. Yeah. So before we get started, I wanted to give you a little bit of Christopher's background. He grew up in a very small town in Albion, Maine. Christopher was the youngest of five children and was considered to live amongst a family that was very highly intelligent. They basically, everybody in the family was of high intelligence. Christopher's dad was obsessed with privacy, studied thermodynamics, and built a greenhouse to show his kids how to grow their own food, which I think is pretty cool. My dad kind of did the same thing. We didn't have a greenhouse growing up, but we did have a garden, and my dad was always showing us how to survive. Christopher's parents were not at all affected and Chris often felt invisible. Poor kid. He's the youngest of five kids. His parents were not affectionate. And so, of course, he's feeling invisible here. I can kind of get that. Yeah, I do too. It's a a little odd because I know um, with my kids, the baby is a spoiled one. I don't see that at all. All right. This is a bit of a folklore tale. Christopher remained a mystery to local residents. And it's even said that he was given the name the North Pond Hermit, just like the mysterious Loch Ness Monster was given that name in Scotland. Because I don't even know if you've heard of the Loch Ness Monster, Shelby. Who has not heard of the Loch Ness Monster? (laughs) I'm going to say anybody born after the year 2000. Let's just say, though, that since the expansion of technology, sightings of UFOs, Bigfoot, and the Loch Ness Monster have decreased significantly. Would you not agree with that? I agree. Yeah. So technology has changed things. Our imaginations are not what they used to be. But back in 1986, Christopher packed up basic camping supplies. He drove up to Moosehead Lake in Maine. He abandoned his car and just started walking. And I will tell you this, the northern half of Maine is described as the Great Woods because of how remote it is. There are somewhere around 300 cabins in this area, but not a whole lot of civilization. So I would say that a lot of these cabins are probably seasonal and people are going to go up to those cabins usually during the warmer months. Kind of like everybody goes on vacation, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the interesting part. Christopher's parents never filed a missing persons report because they just assumed he took off for an adventure. What do you think of that? I wonder if that's why he did it, to see if his parents would file a missing persons report. Oh, good concept because he was feeling invisible? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I guess they probably would have found him a little bit sooner, that's for sure. Because during his 27-year isolation, Christopher practiced the Greek philosophy of Stoicism, which which is the practice of maximizing positive emotions and minimizing negative emotions in order to build character based on the virtues of life that include wisdom, justice, courage, and moderation. That sounds like a pretty good lifestyle. It does. But I don't know why you would have to leave civilization to make that happen. Basically, he just said he didn't like being around people. I mean, if he was in an environment that was, you know, he felt was negative, then maybe the best way for him to do that was to just get away. Yeah, absolutely. 
take a vacation once a year or maybe even twice and come back. (laughs) All right. Once Christopher reached his destination, he deliberately got lost. So his basic supplies, Shelby, obviously did not include a compass. He deliberately got lost and upon his journey, he just kept walking where he ended up setting up camp by a 273 acre pond called North Pond, which is located in Rome, Maine, and is just a couple minutes away from a very popular campsite that has multiple cabins for visitors. And that's kind of cool. I've been to campsites like that. Christopher positioned his camp to be centrally located to summer homes, plus a popular camping area that did serve as a vacation setting for people who wanted to camp for the weekends. And the interesting thing is the campsite did have a main kitchen area. So honestly, I'm envisioning a boys or girls camp like you see in the movies, like Parent Trap. Or I don't even know if you've seen Friday the 13th, Shelbs. I honestly don't think I have. (laughs) I know you've seen Parent Trap because I think that we've watched that multiple times together. Yeah, I'm trying to let you envision the fact of even in Parent Trap, they've got a bunch of different cabins that all the kids are assigned to, and then they all meet in that one area for dinner. I think it's called the mess hall. There you go. And just so you know, you need to go watch Friday the 13th. They have the same setup. Isn't that a scary movie? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. No, thank you. No, thank you? Nope. I can talk about true crime all day, but I cannot watch a scary movie. Yeah, that's true. I'm kind of the same way. Now, I went to go look up the average temperatures in Maine because believe it or not, it's a little bit more north from where I grew up and it gets a little chilly there because the entire time that Christopher lived in the woods, he never once lit a campfire to stay warm. Wow. Average temperatures during the daytime throughout the coldest months in Maine are 35 degrees Fahrenheit or 1 degree Celsius and lows were negative. 13 Fahrenheit or negative 25 degrees Celsius. Oh my goodness. That's cold. Yeah. He's in some pretty frigid temperatures here. Yeah. That's very cold. Oh, yeah, and it's, we're feeling that pinch right now, aren't we? Absolutely. In order to survive, Christopher often broke into those cabins to look for all the necessities that he needed, like food or clothing, and he particularly liked books. So there you go. At least we know he has propane to keep warm because we knew that he did not start any campfires. And based on his spiritual belief, Shelby, surrounding the Greek philosophy of Stoicism, Christopher took a few months before winter to gain weight in anticipation of those harsh winters. So he's kind of thinking about this because he stole the propane tanks to use for heat. Honestly, what else did he have to do, right? If he's out there for 27 years, he should probably have something down pat. But I personally am pretty shocked he survived those winters. I know. Mm-hmm. He used the propane tanks during the winter months to melt snow for drinking water. Well, that, that was smart. Also, when he broke into people's homes, he especially loved the National Geographic magazine and Playboy. Because why not? <laughs> I guess at that age, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Christopher preferred Budweiser beer over Bud Light. And he loved peanut butter over tuna. So he was a little selective. I mean, if he's not working and doesn't have any money, I I figured he'd be able to take what he can get. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. 
Christopher had no intentions of ever hurting anyone and even tried to leave the cabins with as little damage as possible. So that was nice. I guess he's practicing virtues to a certain extent. Although he's burglarizing, he's being nice about it. He never broke windows or doors. He would simply jimmy the lock on the cabins and then make a sweep for whatever he could to survive. Christopher even took a door off the hinges to get inside the house where he reattached the door before he left. How about that? Okay, I'm just curious because first of all, that's pretty good confidence there because when you're a burglar, you kind of want to get in and out pretty quickly, right? But secondly, I personally know how much time it takes to take a door off its hinges and to reattach a new one. It's not just a 10 minute deal there. It takes a little bit longer than that. So he's pretty confident there. Yeah, and I'm sure that it would be a little hard for one person to do that too. It is. It is because you have to balance all the hinges. Yeah. But I guess my question too is what doors do we know of that has the hinges on the outside? Aren't they usually on the inside? That's true. Yep. Christopher made out pretty well on his nightly burglaries. His campsite was set up with a two-burner stove with a gas line to those propane tanks. Plus, he encased his stolen mattress with Tommy Hilfiger sheets. (laughs) So he had a a mattress at one point. Basically, he broke into somebody's cabin, Shelby, and he left everything but the mattress because there were some valuables that were sitting around and he left them there. He took the mattress and the mattress only. Wasn't that nice? Wow, that's funny. I know, right? You almost think, wow, he's a pretty nice burglar. He is. Should we feel sorry for him? Probably not. (laughs) He painted his storage bins with camouflage to blend in with the land, and he also had a pretty decent washing area, so he he had it pretty good, other than no air conditioning or heat. Yeah, I agree. Christopher never stole money in the 27 years that he lived in the woods, but hikers occasionally came across a stash of food, clothing, or other camping supplies that were hidden away. I'm going to say probably that he could pick up later, so he's squirreling things away right now. Christopher would steal from people's gardens first, and of course that can only go so far, so when that was not available to him, that's pretty much when he started breaking into people's houses. So here's the deal, Shelbs. I'm going to just kind of stop there for a second because I have been a victim of theft before and the feeling of violation is so magnified. I could not even imagine being somebody walking into the cabin. Even if it's a summer cabin, I walk in and I can see that it's been ransacked. I know that Christopher is harmless, but me personally, it's very traumatic for that feeling of violation to overcome. So I personally would be worried that he'd walk back in. Am I going to be home at that time? I don't even know if you remember. Do you remember when we had a car that got stolen? I do. The SS Monte Carlo. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, you're the one that told me it got stolen because I didn't believe you guys. We were picking you up from work and it was pretty late and that's the car that we drove up there and I remember the car being stolen, but I don't don't remember, yeah, I don't remember the details from that night. I just remember walking out and the car was gone. (laughs) 
was gone. Yeah, it was. It sure was. That was an awful sinking feeling that day. Now, what happened is we all stayed for lunch and then we went to walk outside into the parking lot. And of course, your dad's like, where's our car? I'm like, come on now. You're joking because he was a jokester. And (laughs) yeah, come on. Where's the car? And he's like, no, really, it was really stolen. So I look at you and I'm like, Shelby, where's the car? And you're like, well, it was parked in that empty parking spot. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. So yeah, that's a bad feeling for sure. Well, several of Christopher's victims kind of felt the same way that I did. I mean, he definitely left an impression here and there. One couple, and I can't really pronounce this last name. I'm going to do the best I can. David and Louise Proltz had their home broken into Shelby at least 50 times over the years. Wow. Can you imagine that? 50 times. First of all, is the insurance company going to cover that after that many times? Yeah. He was so skilled at breaking in that sometimes David and Louise thought they were going crazy because you walk in and little things are moved around. And at one point, they even accused their own children of breaking in. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Another victim, Gary Collins actually left food out for the North Pond Hermit, but Christopher left it alone. He refused to take it because he thought it was a trap and it would have been poisoned. So he he would just break in anyway and leave the food out there on the porch. Wow. <laughs> Neil Patterson pulled an all-night watch one night just to see if he could catch the North Pond Hermit in the act of burglary, but he never did. Obviously, Christopher is leaving an impression on the community. How would you react? I'd be a little worried. (laughs) Yeah, I would too. Well, police were aware of the break-ins and dubbed the thief the North Pond Hermit, the Mountain Man, and the Hungry Man. But the Hermit of North Pond is the one that stuck. For the next 27 years, authorities were unable to catch Christopher red-handed during any of his burglaries. They just filed reports under the name Hermit Hermit. So first name Hermit, last name Hermit. And (laughs) made note that the burglar was unusually neat and tidy. Wow. I mean, that's a comical report. That sounds like something Corey might write up. (laughs) (laughs) They gave him props, though, for how tedious and talented Christopher was for pulling off all of these burglaries with skill and going undetected. So there you go. Yeah, that's a long time. It is. Authorities installed security cameras in the main kitchen where those cabins were, but they were unsuccessful in identifying the man that they did catch on camera on numerous occasions. Obviously, because basically Christopher walked off the face of the earth, and so I'm sure he's got no documentation, especially as he got older. I'm sure that they couldn't really figure out who he was. Mm-hmm. And... The authorities estimated over 1,000 break-ins through the years. So there you go. That's what I'm talking about. This is where Dying to be Found comes in because he was pretty shifty there. Did a good job of keeping himself hidden. Yeah, for sure. So I have a question. If the campgrounds placed surveillance cameras on their property, do you think that they could have specifically pinpointed the times that he would be showing up? 
what time he would be coming around. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. After asking myself this question during my research, I actually went to go look it up. And according to the New York Post, they said that Christopher did have a pattern, which, believe it or not, occurred frequently over Memorial Day in May and Labor Day weekend in September. And for our listeners who don't live in America, those are the two main holiday weekends that kick off and close out the summer season of outdoor activities where the majority of people would be staying in cabins and enjoying the outdoors. But during the rest of the months between October and April, Christopher rarely left his tent to minimize leaving footprints in the snow. So I kind of wonder how many people actually hiked through those areas. If he's trampling through the snow, that's one thing, but is how, how close is he to hikers? Yeah, for sure. Now, during the nights, Christopher wrapped himself in multiple sleeping bags and of course he had that propane nearby so at least he's keeping himself warm and he only allowed himself to sleep between the hours of 7 30 p.m and 2 o'clock a.m every night because he did not want to freeze to death if his sweat were to turn into ice under those frigid temperatures that makes sense i've done a lot of camping and i kind of get it wow i didn't even know that was a thing yeah and i've done camping up north in canada so i really kind of get it. So that's pretty smart. I mean, again, he comes from an intelligent family, so he's definitely on that spectrum. Yeah. Now, we're going to move into the beginning of the end because by 2013, many local residents installed security cameras and alarm systems on their property, which was definitely helpful in deterring the North Pond Hermit. The Pine Tree Summer Camp, which is the camp with that main kitchen, added motion sensors and floodlights to the property. So yeah, technology is definitely taking over here. But here's the kicker. Sergeant Terry Hughes, who was in charge of this investigation, also implemented a silent alarm system that I am told was probably under the guidelines of Homeland Security, so it's pretty high tech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the technology that he used was routed to his own home from the campsite. So it was a silent alarm system that was routed to his own home, and Christopher obviously would not have heard any alarms going off. Wow. In April of 2013, at the age of 47, he left the woods. Christopher left for the woods at age 20 and at the age of 47 he was finally caught by the state game warden as he was burglarizing the camp that was set up for disabled people. Oh, I'm going to fast forward to Christopher's interview after he was finally apprehended when questioned about why he spent almost three decades as a hermit. Christopher simply stated that people made him feel uncomfortable and he was more comfortable being alone. And we talked about that at the beginning of this podcast. I get it to a certain extent. Yeah, poor thing, but for 27 years. 27 years. Well, let me just tell you. Now, he did speak to one lone hiker in those 27 years. Remember, he went into the woods in 1986. Well, let's see. About five years later, in 1991, he did happen across a lone hiker in which he said hi to that person and they went on their merry ways. He went another 22 years after that without speaking to one other person. He just said hi one day. (laughs) In 27 years, he spoke once. No. 
I can't, I feel bad for him though. I know. I really kind of do too because what's his mindset like, poor guy? I just want to give him a hug. Yeah, don't do that though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. Christopher did receive a marriage proposal. Once this hit the news, I just said a hug. <laughs> there's always somebody out there, Shelby. Please don't be that person. Christopher went on to say that he felt horrible about committing petty theft, but quote, I was so committed to being completely alone that I decided it was necessary for my survival, unquote. That's interesting. Yeah. So he had a conscience, but he did it anyway. Yeah. Christopher was initially held on a $5,000 bond and spent seven months in jail before a judge ordered the bond to be raised to $250,000. What? I mean, at this point, don't they know that nobody is looking for him? Who's going to be able to pay that? I know, exactly. Where's that money going to come from, right? I've got a couple different thoughts here. First, I'll bet he actually enjoyed living in a cell for seven months because he had a warm bed and a warm meal. So that what he had going for him. But the judge stated that they adjusted that fee from $5,000 to $250,000, it was necessary to protect Christopher from being exploited before he could get a lawyer. That makes sense. That does make sense. Mm -hmm. A pretty big news story at this point in time if he didn't have a lawyer. I mean, that was nice of a judge, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's thinking about his humanity there. Yeah. All right. So Christopher spent that time behind bars. And when that happened, I had mentioned that he got that marriage proposal and he was eventually given a conditional release under his mother's care. So here we go now. Can you imagine getting that phone call that your son who had been missing for 27 years has reappeared? I mean, I would be ecstatic, but considering how his parents, you know, treated him prior to him leaving, I can't see that they would give him that maybe affection that he was looking for all those years ago. But then again, maybe with him being gone for that long, maybe that changed the way they are. Yeah, possibly. I mean, definitely time and maturity changes every one of us for sure. But could you imagine being forced to interact with people again after 27 years, whether you know them or not? Absolutely not. Yeah, that just, I think that would be very stressful for everyone involved. I mean, after 27 years, does he really, really know them? No, probably not. No, it'd be like meeting strangers all over again and living with strangers all over again. Yeah, it would be. Well, Christopher eventually paid $1,500 in restitution for his crimes. And where did he get this money? I know you're wondering. It was funded by taking a job that his brother set up for him at a scrap metal recycling plant. So that was good. He was able to get back into society that way and earn an honest living. Yeah, seems like his family was really trying to help him. Yeah. Christopher longs to return to the woods and considers re-entering society one of his worst punishments. Understood. He's been there for a long time. And he does understand, however, that returning to the woods would be returning to the life of crime. So he basically has come to the decision that he is going to do the best he can with the cards he's dealt with at this point in time because he knows he was doing wrong. He understands that. And so he's living in society. I'm sure he still isolates himself, but 
if he's practicing his stoicism, he's probably understanding that it, he's uh, worked what worked out the time that he needed to out there in the woods and back to society he is. So that's the story of the North Pond Hermit. I enjoyed that. Yeah, we needed to do something different and to have a little bit of positivity, even though there was crime involved. But I would love to hear some feedback from our listeners on this storyline. So there you have it, Shelbs. So do you have a teachable moment for, for us today, Mom? Yeah, I actually do. And I actually put a little bit of thought into this and went out and did my research on this. A lot of it, surprise, comes from the cuff. But today, I thought I would give you some information on what burglars are looking for when they break into our houses. And I'm not sure. I'm not pointing fingers. I don't even know what applies to your home, Shelby. I know what applies to my home. This is some information that real burglars say about how they break into people's homes. Most of them say they just walk in through an unlocked door or window. Burglars do knock first before they enter if no one answers. But if someone does answer, they'll say something random to give a reason as to why they're on your doorstep. I personally had this happen to me a couple years ago. It was early morning before I even left for work and somebody's knocking on my door. And I'm like, what the heck? He said he was looking for his dog. Wow. Yep. He was looking for his dog at seven o'clock in the morning. Maybe he was, but. No, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, it was fishy and he made me feel nervous. So I didn't even open the door, but I could hear him through the window. <laughs> oh, wow. So the number one spot that burglars beeline it to once they enter the home is the bedroom because that's where most valuables are kept. Think about it. Jewelry, handguns, things like that. That makes sense. But they also look in the freezer, the toilet tanks, and cereal boxes. How about that? That's crazy. I mean, I can understand maybe the freezer and the toilet tanks because I've heard. Now, I don't know anybody personally, but I've heard that sometimes people will hide cash in there. But I, I have kids, and so a cereal box is not something that I would think of. Although that might be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So if any burglars are listening to me right now, they're actually getting some tips. But I'm also trying to do this on the flip side and give you some tips on what to watch out for. Now, the prime time to break in is during the day when everybody's at work, but specifically between 12.30 p.m. and 2.30 p.m. because some people come home for lunch. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Burglars want to make sure that you've gone back to work. And then, of course, a lot of people get off 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they're headed home again. Mm -hmm. So between 12.30 and 2.30 is the prime time that burglars break in. And I just say post a sign in your yard that your house is being monitored by a security company. I've heard that's effective. Even if you don't have a security system, you could start with that. However. Some burglars say that this does not always deter them because they know how to dismantle wiring before they even enter the house. Wow. So I would say they're probably surveilling the house to see what your patterns are. I've heard that sometimes burglars will do that. 
Yeah. If you're not at home, you should leave the TV on because burglars are going to take the side of caution when they hear that and leave because they believe that this signals that somebody is most likely home. So their odds are more against them. And then I've also seen that same thing with a car. You should try to have an extra car in the driveway because burglars don't usually approach a house if the car is there. But what do you think is the number one effective deterrent for burglars, Shelbs, that I haven't mentioned yet? I'm going to say a dog. Okay, good guess. That is actually the number one deterrent. But question, big dog or little dog or both? Doesn't matter. I say one of each. Okay. Well, we know little dogs have big personalities, right? That's right. Nope. Big dogs. Not the little ones. They could care less. I'm sure they can just kick them aside, even if they're barking. Doesn't really matter. Little dogs bark all the time. They don't stop. Even if the neighbor heard the dog barking, they probably wouldn't think twice. So big dogs. Well, here's something you may or may not know, too. Floppy-eared dogs are not perceived to be as aggressive as pointy-eared dogs. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that, but that makes complete sense. So many schools, if they have a police dog there during the day, many of the dogs that they have are floppy-eared dogs because they want students in that building to not feel threatened. But in my case, you all, again, meet Dennis and Ava. I have one of each. I have a floppy-eared dog and a pointy-eared dog. But I will tell you, you're probably going to want to avoid Dennis because he's the one that is highly alert. Really? Well, he's the one that is highly alert and looks out the window and barks. But Ava will probably be the one to greet you at the door with a nice big grin. <laughs> and I mean an aggressive grin. <laughs> yes. Now I can see that. Dennis would alert Ava and Ava would take charge from there. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, some burglars say that cameras definitely deter them from attempting to break into your home. Otherwise, other burglars feel like it signals that you have valuables there. That's interesting. I don't know if I agree with that today, Shelby. I mean, it's impossible to go without some sort of security system anymore. There are lots of companies out there that offer inexpensive surveillance cameras. You don't have to go through one of those major monitoring companies anymore. You just need to do your homework to see what's best for you. Yeah. And that's it. That's my long, drawn out, educational, teachable moment. Oh. <laughs> All right, Shelbs. Well, guess what? That is the end of the North Pond Hermit. Lock your doors, get a big dog, and keep your TV on. I will 100% consider getting a big dog, but I will, I refuse to leave my TV on. <laughs> Why? Too much electricity? Yes, I unplug as much as I can. People leaving lights on annoys the heck out of me. You were a stickler about that when I was younger, and now I do it to everybody else in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and I still am because honestly, you even need to unplug lights and things that you don't use. And I will tell you this, when I lived there in that town, I unplugged everything except for the lights that honestly, I think I probably even unplugged the lights until I went to go plug it into the wall instead of turning the notch to turn it on. Because believe it or not, it literally saved me probably $30 a month in electricity for things that I wasn't using every day. Yeah, and that adds up. Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it. 
So there's our story for the week. I'm glad that we could give you a refreshing storyline today, but definitely lock your doors. All right. Thanks everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dying to be Found. Before we go, we would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dying to be Found. You can access our website, email, social media, and storyline request form by clicking on our Linktree account found in our show notes. If you like our episodes, consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash dying to be found, spelled just like you see it on our logo. Feel free to message us on Instagram and let us know how we're doing or if you'd like a sticker. With that, be sure to check us out every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. We will talk to you all next week.